an individual in the scripture, in the account of Jesus' birth, whose name you know. But how much more do you know about Joseph? Well, most people probably just know that he was Jesus' father. But the reality is, he wasn't Jesus' biological father. He was Jesus' legal father. There are, no, there are 16 references to Joseph in the New Testament. And here's part of his biography. In Matthew, in Matthew 1, 16 and 17, it tells us that Joseph was a descendant of King David. And Joseph's father's name was Jacob. In Matthew 13, 55, it tells us he was a carpenter. He worked with his hands and we know that he taught his son how to do the same. In Matthew 1, 19, it says Joseph was a just man. And that word indicates that he was fair and honest in his dealings. He was a businessman you could trust. You could know that if you had a handshake from Joseph, he was going to carry it out. He was going to do it not just on time, but at the highest possible quality that he was capable of. In Luke 2, 21 to 24, it says that, Jew, that Joseph was a religious Jew. He followed all of the traditions and all of the ordinance of his faith. He believed in God. He believed in Jehovah, Yahweh. And Matthew 13, 55 and 56 says he was the biological father of three sons. Most people don't know that. His sons are named Joseph, Simon, Judas. Not the Judas you're thinking. And an unspecified number of daughters. Joseph is a figure in the Gospels in the early years of Jesus' life, and he's not mentioned during the three, year of, uh, three years of, Je of Jesus' ministry. And in that regard, he becomes a man in the shadows for the rest of Scripture. The 16 references to Joseph found in the Gospels model for us what it means to be faithful in our spiritual journey regardless of our circumstances. There's nobody in this book, in the Bible, that doesn't show their flaws. When God wrote a book that's a holy book, a sacred book, you think he'd only pack it with stars, only pack it with people who are perfect. The only problem that the Lord had was when he went into the world of humanity looking for the perfect person, there was none. The only one that was ever perfect that walked this earth was his son Jesus. So God worked with what he had. And what he had is just like you and just like me. And that's important as we study scripture to realize sooner or later, we're going to find something about ourselves that we can examine and say, yeah, that's me. Now, where do I go from here? Joseph's experiences teaches us to trust the Lord to guide us even when we don't understand the events surrounding us when we don't know what's going on, when we can't understand what's happening, and we look up to God and say, what? What did I do to make this happen? Why is it happening to me? Can I bear up under it? Joseph's role in Jesus' life demonstrates the value God places on fatherhood and family. Not just family, but fatherhood, a missing ingredient in our American society and culture that's having a damaging effect on how we are living a quality of life. Joseph was a humble, ordinary man who was used by God to serve in a wonderful way on this first Christmas. He's not at the cross. He's not a visitor to the tomb. 
The scripture silence suggested that Joseph died before Jesus began his ministry. What can we learn about Joseph that can be applicable to our life? And what can we glean from his challenges and his character? So let's begin at the beginning and go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. You have a Bible in front of you. You can open it. It'll be here upon PowerPoint as well. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And would you stand with me to honor the scripture? Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this way. Here's how it happened. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being an interpreter, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you. From our text and the previously stated biographical sketch, we can conclude that Joseph was just an ordinary guy. While his ancestry could be traced to Israel's king Jacob, uh, David, he was not the beneficiary of any of that. His ancestors didn't help him financially. There was no special position for him. There was no special name. For all intents and purposes, he was buried in the sands of Jerusalem. Nobody knew him, and yet he was, an ancestor. He was a relative of the great king. He's like the majority of us, just eking out a living and making plans to live a normal life. That was his objective. Just be a regular guy, have a business, maybe make a few bucks out of it. He's just gotten engaged to a young girl named Mary, and life is good. Business is good. He loves her. It's wonderful. But life is suddenly, suddenly no longer a straight line. It's no longer going the way you hoped and thought and imagined and promised and, and believed it was going to go. Never a smooth road is life. In its twists and turns, we find life's surprises, the events we never planned for, never anticipated, and were never prepared to, to handle. Has that happened in your life? You thought life was just going to continue along this route. You thought there'd be no corner to turn, but there was a corner to turn. And when you turned that corner, you didn't know what to expect. But as far as you can look back, you can say the worst happened. Verse 18 of our text tells us Mary became pregnant, but not by Joseph. Go back at 2000. Don't even have to go back 2,000 years. Just go back to the 1950s and think of what, a, what that was like when somebody became pregnant who wasn't married, especially if it was a teenager 2,000 years ago. It really was a religious society. And they knew what it meant to be pregnant without a husband. 
but Mary and Joseph had no sexual relations. Can you imagine how thunderstruck the religious young husband must have felt? What do you think was going through Joseph's mind when he found out that Mary was pregnant? What would be going on through your mind? He has no alternative but to assume she has been unfaithful to him. Our text tells us while he thought on these things, what things? His options. Okay, I know this now. What am I going to do? Well, do I marry her anyway? Why should I? They have a name for women like her. I can't believe she did this thing to me. Right back to the guy. Why did she do this to me? Unfaithfulness in marriage violates a basic trust. It removes the blush of innocence from the relationship. It crushes confidence, and it makes the injured party wonder, why am I not good enough for her? Why did she have to seek love and excitement someplace else? I waited a lifetime for her. Why couldn't she wait for me? It can, it can destroy long-standing marriages. Imagine its effect on the early days of a marriage. In verse 19, Joseph tells that he was intended to just walk quietly away from Mary and have the engagement annulled somehow to avoid making her a public spectacle. So now he's thinking about her and he's thinking about if I don't marry her, she's going to be a public embarrassment. How's her parents gonna feel? How about the friends she's got? How am I gonna feel? How many of us under similar circumstances would be thinking about not hurting the one who hurt us as deeply as she hurt him? Joseph is a man of godly character. He's a believer who apparently had seen the goodness and mercy of God in his life and was prepared to forgive as he had been forgiven. Do we think along those lines? Christian love can hide a multitude of sins while not condoning sin. As he sleeps, an angel appears, probably the angel Gabriel mentioned in Luke chapter 2 as having spoken to Mary. The angel tells Joseph, you should, be, you, should, you should not think about putting her away. You should concentrate on putting your fears away. Put away your disappointments. Put away your anger. The angel says, you can marry this girl because she has been touched by God. Well, get that wrapped around your head. What's happened to Mary is not an act of nature. It's supernatural. It's a miracle. What's happened defies all the rules of human reproduction. The life growing inside Mary is of divine origin. Mary is conceived by the divine power of the Holy Spirit and not the power of nature. We as Bible-believing Christians need to understand what this unprecedented birth implies. This child, Jesus, was the meeting place of eternity and time, the infinite and the finite. This was so special. It's the only time anything like this has ever happened. The child was the blending of deity and humanity. And the child was the junction of heaven and earth. As the late CNN interviewer Larry King said, if he, Jesus, was indeed virgin birth, that would define history for me. 
The text records that long before technology enabled us to determine the sex of a baby in its mother, all heaven knew that this baby will be a boy. And they knew his name, Jesus, because his name announced his purpose in life. He shall save his people from their sins. He came with a purpose built in. He had a name to live up to. You have a name. Do you know what it means? My middle name is Salvatore. My last name is DeSalvio. When you put them together and, and, and translate into English, it means saved of the Savior. Something to live up to. The angel cites his source for making such a great proclamation. God's word, one-third of which is prophecy, over 300 Old Testament prophecies, refer to Jesus, and the prophecy cited by the angel is Isaiah 7.14, and this is what it records. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So Joseph is faced with a medically impossible. Can he believe his eyes? Believe his ears? Can he believe God's word? He could have led with his doubts. Rather, he led with his faith. What an important thing for us to remember. What, when faced with impossible circumstances that seem impossible, that seem intimidating, that seem overwhelming, are you going to lead with your doubts or are you going to lead with your faith? Are you going to lead with your fear and your anger or are you going to lead with your faith? As, as a one liberal theologian said when he wrote these words, quote, I would not put it past God to arrange a virgin birth if he wanted to, but I very much doubt he did. That's not faith. This is a, this is a liberal theologian. But it's still a theologian. So what's he telling these students in the classes that he's dealing with? And then what are they going back to pulpits when they get into those pulpits? What are they telling their people? Another theologian put it this way. In time, the virgin birth account will join Adam and Eve as clearly recognized myths. It's 2022, coming on 2023, and I'm still preaching it. I'm still preaching that truth, and many, many others are too. I guess he was wrong. Fake news. Verse 24, Then Joseph did as the angel had bidden him and took unto him his wife. The believer still believes in miracles. Miracles are essential to our Christian faith, and they encompass the life of Jesus, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the resurrection. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, without Christ's resurrection, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, what are we doing here on Christmas morning? A miracle is a violation of the known laws of nature. But because God wrote those laws, he can supersede those laws. And because God exists, miracles are possible. Amen? You believe that? Then you should be living in expectation. And your life should not just be humdrum. You have a great story to tell the people in your life. The believer still believes with God nothing is impossible. 
The believer lives by faith and not by sight. Think about it. Every thought, even our wildest imaginations, are based exclusively on our five senses, the things we've seen, heard, touched, smelled, or tasted. But the Bible teaches us that our five senses are not the borders. They're not the borders of reality. There is another reality beyond our senses, and it can only be discovered by faith. By faith, the believer moves forward, trusting God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And guess what? He does. How many of you experienced that in your life when it seemed you came to a dead end, when it seems there was nothing beyond this present moment and you never thought you were going to get past it, but you got past it because God made a way? How many of you have experienced that? Let me see your hand. Joseph was such a man. His life, although lived in the shadows, points us to the truth for every believer. God has a plan for you. Your road may be weary and hard, but you serve the God of miracles. When you live to serve him, your story can reach the people in your life who need to know the Christ who came into the world to demonstrate God's love. And so tonight, I encourage you to step out of the shadows and let your light so shine that men and women may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And when they do, they too will say glory to God in the highest and then peace on earth, goodwill to men. I wish you all a very blessed Christmas.